Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney. Joining us tonight, after a lengthy hiatus, back from the wilderness, our old friend, Michael Hermes. Hello! It's me. We also welcome, uh, once again, freelance writer, Nick Capazzoli. Also back from a long hiatus, I think. I mean, we all have, really, right? That's very true, but... Pandemic and all. Oh God, yeah it it's been it's been that long. I think when we were doing the pre-show, and I realized like how long it's been since I've done this with any of you, and how much has changed. Uh, it it kind of floored me. Uh, speaking of uh, a long time absent, we welcome Matt Flanagan, uh, YouTuber extraordinaire, covering the hotly contested naval beat as the historical gamer. Uh, Matt, welcome back to the show after Nantucket was the last time, or was it a did we get you on for Command Naval Ops? No, it was Nantucket. It's been a while, but it's great to be back. Yeah, and we are gathered uh, to discuss Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail, uh, which is a Game Labs... Well, it's a, it's a Game Labs, Labs sequel to maybe two different games, maybe to their naval action game, but maybe also to Ultimate General. Uh, Civil War. Who who can say? It's definitely drawing from a couple of those franchises. Uh, Matt, what is Ultimate Admiral Age of Sail? What what's it sort of stemming from in the Game Labs, uh, you know, war game library? Yeah, I think I think the comparison of Naval Action and the Ultimate General series is is a good one. Um, to me, it always felt more like Ultimate General Civil War specifically. Uh, because of how the campaign works. But generally speaking, um, Ultimate Admiral uh, Age of Sail is a real-time tactical naval combat game uh, that has a campaign, actually two separate campaigns, three if you get the DLC, uh, looking at naval combat mostly around the American Revolution. The, The British campaign goes to Trafalgar. The American campaign ends, I believe, with the Battle of the Chesapeake. Um, at the end of the American Revolution. Um, and it's a game that allows you to fight battles in real time. I think it, it has a lot of homage to the old Talonsoft Age of Sail series uh, back from the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, but there's also times where I'm not sure whether it wants to be Ultimate General because it has this land combat element in it as well, uh, in addition to real-time naval combat. Yeah, I think... This is a bit of an odd game. It's doing a lot of things. Uh, Nick, you reviewed it for us over on Waypoint. Um, and I guess my question is, did you come out liking this game? Uh, did it deliver on kind of what you were hoping for uh, from a Game Lab's take on, on tall ship combat? I think it did. I mean, I, I don't have much of a background in the... Um sailing or ship combat games, but I, I definitely was very into the uh, that, those first couple of Ultimate General games. Um, uh, Gettysburg, which was kind of a prototype for, for Civil War, which I definitely spent a whole lot of time with. Um, and I'm a, a big proponent of those games. I mean, I, I, I go back and forth between them and Total War a lot, and I definitely find that when I go back and forth, I miss some parts from one of them when I play the other one. But um, I, I find like they, they do a lot of things that I always miss in the Total War games. And uh, um, 
I, what I like about this game is that like it, it takes that that what I think is a very good version of the the land combat, and it does this sort of amphibious assault kind of thing with the the ship combat too, where you mix and matches the two of them, land your forces, fight a little bit of land combat, then have to you know pull out as the enemy reinforcements come in back to your ships and get under the safety of their fire, and, and I feel like it works pretty well here. Michael, we summoned you back. Uh, from from your absence, we we wakened you from your slumber, uh, because you were curious about this game and you wanted to know if it was any good. And then we just put you on a podcast about it. Uh, do you? Feel it was you very rewarded? sudden. Did I feel what rewarded? Yes, I did. Um, I'm glad I took a flyer on this game. Uh, you know, I had initially gone in. I said, "Hey guys, I'm using my back channel access to find out is this a good game." And then you said, well, you tell us. And then I said, okay, here we are. And to me, yes, I think it is a good game. There's some caveats there. There's some interesting aspects to it in terms of keeping it from being like, you know, a super solid recommendation. But overall, I enjoyed my time with the game. I thought it was a lot of fun and it really ties into some of the other stuff I'm doing and reading right now. So I I enjoyed it quite a bit. So... As far as those uh, caveats go, perhaps, yeah. um, I think one of mine... Here, here's my big one. Um, I wish there was no land combat in this game. I hate it. Yeah, um, I, I, I think part of it is... It is recognizably ultimate general, as far as like once there's uh, boots on the ground, as it were. But it's a really kind of mediocre ultimate general like it reminds me of oh yeah there was a much better game that this studio made that did this stuff uh and here it feels very much like a side mission variety act and i think it is more interesting uh when there is an amphibious component like when there is a a uh combination of you know ships at sea providing like support fire um and when there's troops like landing at different points on the map i think that's where it gets a little more interesting but man even there like as things shift inland it mostly feels i think in contrast to the way the ships feel the ships feel good and like as you get bigger ships and better ships they Mm -hmm. feel awesome and no matter what the scale of operations on land is it feels kind of janky and it feels like you're kind of out there with the junior varsity version of an army. Well, so I I wonder about this because, I mean, this is a component of the review. I mean, Rob, as you you know, you read. Um, Do you feel like it's historically accurate jank as far as musket firing and stuff goes, or do you feel like it's uh, non-diegetic? I think so. I think you'd make the case that a lot of times you're landing irregulars, right? You're landing ships, marine detachments. A lot of times you're landing uh, sailors themselves, sometimes led by their captains, uh, who will invariably die on those missions. And then you'll have to put. But not in, really. Eh, my guys were dead. Well, that that was one of the things I noticed. Is I definitely got pop ups, little toaster icons that said one of my generals died, and then I get back to the main screen, and boop, there they are again. Well, so that may depend on if they're if they have uh, plot armor. I'm not sure. There's plot uh, armor. Yes, and yeah, yeah if it's um, your your named player character general, I think maybe uh, they can't be killed. So Horatio Nelson's not going to take a take a dive, but uh, he dies at the appointed hour. Uh, 
A red shirt might, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think it, you could argue that it's historically accurate, and certainly when I think to um, like the Aubrey Maturin series, amphibious mm. operations in this period definitely do have a feeling more of ad hoc uh, clusterfuck adjacent affairs, rather more than like you know Marines going ashore uh, in World War Two. But but still, I don't know. It just didn't it. It wasn't quite fun for me, Matt. I, I'm I'm curious whether you felt that that this angle, like that, does land combat here feel like maybe it should for a game about like amphibious uh, operations in the 18th century? Yeah. So you know when I when I started playing this, you could obviously see oh they're trying to go kind of the, the Aubrey Maturin or the Hornblower type approach where. Um, you know, raids along the coast are, are a big thing. And they were at periods of time in the, in the Napoleonic Wars. But I think what kind of took it, took where it lost me a little bit was just the scale of some of those land battles. You're landing, you're basically, you're everything but a skeleton crew of all of your ships in a lot of these battles. And then, I don't know, maybe I'm just not good enough at the game, but I end up getting my crack uh, crack sailors just butchered ashore. And I, I can't help but thinking, the Royal Navy wouldn't do that. You know, they wouldn't send 75% of their, their crew members ashore to fight in a land battle uh, against enemy regulars. And, and now you just are stuck with a bunch of, you know, green recruits in the next battle because maybe you're just not good enough at the game. It's very Starship Troopers, right? Where it's everybody fights. Um, and yeah, I mean, my crew's like, those land battles were pretty bloody. And I think and then part of that was because, uh, first of all, I, I think the game can have kind of a spiky uh, difficulty curve. I don't know if that was just me, but I feel like playing through these campaigns, some of these land battles were incredibly hard. And I was like, I needed to have a completely different specked out fleet to to get through this little part of the campaign um or or sometimes the mission design themselves uh just felt kind of like it was perfectly tuned to shred whatever i brought into the battle with me i think for me it's just how stark it all is like the land battles are in, in my experience just a bloodletting every time and the naval battles generally aren't and and i think that's I don't know, maybe that's somewhat accurate, but it it's also a little bit frustrating when you're trying to manage your crews and your and your your troops between missions. But I will say one thing. The game does let you build marine and sort of army units uh and put them on merchant ships so that you can build specialized units that are primarily meant for fighting your land battles. So that that feels right uh in that sense. Um but it does feel a little, the balance feels a little bit off to me. I definitely, um, I felt like I, I, I as it, I went through the second campaign, I think I did for review the American one. And in that one, I, I got much more in the habit of like, as soon as I would start one of the land battles and I, especially the ones where I have to bring in my, my, um, amphibious or my, my ship units. Um, I would, as soon as the, the battle starts, uh, reform all of the units because you're typically your ship crews each individual one of those regiments is only like 30 maybe 40 guys uh and uh once they go under combat like they'll they'll route and uh completely shatter at maybe like 15 to 10 to um like 19 or 20 guys left so like immediately 
reform them all, get them into much bigger 150 man units or something like that. Whereas um, the uh, your land specialty units that you can have on those merchant ships, you can bring those guys up to 300 right when they deploy. Like so, they're, they're, you can size scale them up immediately so that they're ready to go. And I would definitely make them my like you know uh, first uh, front line force, and then bring in my more precious you know. <laughs> Ship put captains and crew guys in their little reformed units afterwards as a second one. The land combat's really how it the game tells you that you're playing it the right way or the wrong way, I found. Um and I actually didn't get as far as I would have liked because I basically had to restart the game. Um in the sense that you'll you'll be cruising along and uh if if you're like me, you have a few precious ships that you wanted to upgrade and really, you know, sink money into, and, uh, you know, when you get a prize, a prize ship, when you capture something, like a good person, you you sell it back to the Navy for prestige points, and uh, get rid of it off your plate, so you have this nice, tight, you know, uh, amount of ships, only to find out that you end up woefully undermanned in certain land combat situations, and you just can't go any further, Um, and you have to go back and, you know, reacquire more ships you have to i i started over and then from that point on i captured every darn ship and held on to it as much as i could just so that i could have enough land forces uh to continue through the campaign so you've touched there on the basically the progression systems through the campaign and i nick in your review you made the point that there's kind of a mech game adjacency here and i think it's a really good analogy but it also means that there's kind of a um it's not overly complex it all makes perfect sense but like the you don't necessarily see what the resource dilemmas are that you're facing until you're pretty far mm-hmm. into the campaign and i had the same experience as michael where like i would hit points in the campaign where it's like oh the decisions i made two or three battles ago when i had a lot of money because uh, that's your primary currency is just money, and then there's your secondary currency, which is reputation points uh, with the with the admiralty. And there would be moments in the campaign where I realized, oh shit! Like two or three battles ago, I invested those points into the wrong things, and pretty much verbatim what Michael said, I tended to give nice things to the admiralty. I gave nice prizes to the admiralty, and then inevitably I would find out one of two things. Either, shit, I needed way more well-armed, uh, like, inventory for this land mission that's coming up. Or, or um, it turns out that the campaign has just entered a completely different weight class in terms of ships that are going to be involved. And I do not have a contender at that weight class. And my last chance to get one was either a prize I sold... Or it was the money I spent that I probably should have been saving on a nice, like, third rate. Mm-hmm. I had, like, um, for the review, I had done the American campaign, and I, I think that the game does a very good job of kind of giving you just enough in that one and making the conditions of the missions such that um, you don't feel like you need to be really, like, building up to something great, because in most of the battles, they're going to get, they're going to, foist a lot of smaller ships on you and they're going to say you need to look just just uh, sink six of the enemy ships and then just get the heck out of there <laughs> we're not expecting a whole lot more from you um, but i definitely remember in the british campaign there being a couple of big 
like gate battles a few of the early before like the first time that you see a ship of the line i think in it mm-hmm. and and they give you if i recall correctly i don't know if it's changed after patches since it's been a while since i played the bridge campaign but they, i think they give you a couple of fireboats and they're like look if it's gonna be too much of a problem for you just blow the heck out of the thing destroy it but if you fireboats which do not have a confirm uh prompt either so if you push the fire button they just burst into flames <laughs> Uh, so I definitely said, oh, I'm going to target, I'm, I, I remember that mission, I'm going to target the ship after I click that, and nope, there they go, a good two miles away from that uh, ship of the line. That that mission is a real early struggle. I, I definitely had so many moments where like, I had the fireboat lined up on it, I'm like, all right, I press ignite, the thing lights on fire, the wind changes, and I just sail right past it, like full airball. <laughs> There's... Also, so in this drive to upgrade, I think um, one of the things they've done here as well is, uh, so you have the research tree, so that will unlock new equipment you can order, uh, new modules you can install on your ships. So for instance, you can, this makes zero sense, but you can take a ship that you just have in in your fleet and you can add a copper bottom to it. I don't know that you could do that to a ship that already existed. Uh, that feels like a decision you make when you're when you're laying the the ship down. But nevertheless, you can just add that module, and it will be faster. You got a faster ship at the end of it. And there's there's a lot of like different things in this vein you can you can add. Usually, the limiting factor is uh, ships have a max weight, so it's that familiar uh, battle tech problem of there's only so much shit you can load onto these hulls, uh, and crew has weight. Uh, you know, guns have weight. These modules generally have weight, um, and there's a trade-off for all of them. Like more crew is nice if you're hoping to do boarding actions because you need to detach prize crews uh, for that, and you need to be able to overwhelm enemy ships but the other thing that i find interesting in this game is um it definitely subscribes to the school of let's i guess it's it's a little bit like it's almost like the uh the the looter school of like equipment uh where there's just a lot of garbage out there that you're going to inherit where it's like the flavor text in the game will be it's the year it's like you know the game is is the year like eighteen hundred or, or or seventeen fifty or something like that, and you'll have a cannon that was basically obsolete by the time the Spanish Armada sailed uh, on England, and it's like yeah, this is all you got. Here's it can't hit shit, uh, and its range sucks, and, it's, and it fires slowly. Um, enjoy. You probably want to swap that out when you get a chance. Oh, the uh, the the guns that your your Marines have. Uh, those are fire locks. Enjoy. Uh, good luck with that. Hope it doesn't get wet. Um, that's yeah, there's, that's well, there's you absolutely no like uh, RPG Borderlands. Like, look, you're looking for the orange loot Diablo thing. You know, like you can't just. I mean, like in in practice, you can sort of scroll down to the bottom of the cannon list, find the most expensive one, and buy that, and generally be pretty good. But the description for it in the text will be like. Look, this wasn't ideal. It's heavy and it's slow to reload, and the penetration isn't very good on the, you know, on armor. But you know, it's here. Hey, we made it work. I would. I ended up basically cornering myself in a couple places because I was like, with my nice new frigate or something. I was like, I'm gonna lavish. You know, since you're gonna be a little slow, you're gonna have trouble keeping up with the cutters. 
Um, I'm going to lavish uh, my best guns on you. And that turns out to be a bad decision because the next mission might be, okay, well, you got a frigate. That's, that's real nice. Um, you're going up against a ship of the line. So I hope, I hope you've got Davy Crockett working the guns on that frigate uh, because, like, if that thing gets hit once at close range, it's basically done. And the cutters, forget about it. They will not be able – they will literally do nothing against the ship. You, you'll watch this fight drag on for, like, 20, 30 minutes. Shots just pinging off this thing, but you, like, you literally do not have what you need to capture and board this uh, ship of the line. And on the one hand, I think it's really cool that in this game you have that feeling of um, scale, where where it's like, oh God, I just don't belong in a fight against this thing. On the other hand, there were places in the campaign where I sure wished there were some maybe catch-up mechanics or some a little bit of mercy when it came to some of these uh, equipment checks that the game throws at you. There's a few... So there is a way when you go into missions in the campaign that you can actually choose different levels of rewards. Um, so, like, you go in, you either get the standard amount of, of money and reputation for winning, or you have three other, two other options, one that gives you less, but I'm assuming is easier. I, I didn't really ever do that one or one that's a little bit harder, where you get a little bit more in the way of rewards. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but I think uh, kind of going back to what you are saying before, one of the most frustrating things in the campaign is sometimes it feels like you've lost and you don't even know it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, be- I, I, I remember I was streaming, and uh, someone made a comment, yeah, you needed to take this this uh, ship of the line or whatever two scenarios ago, which was like two and a half hours ago, you basically already lost. Yeah, it was a little bit frustrating because you don't hit that brick wall until hours later, realizing you need to go back several battles. The the American campaign is is the salve for for that issue. I can I can say that for sure. And that was a weird one because I I think I'd come from the British campaign where it, the British campaign sort of instills this feel like feeling like I need to gang press every single ship that I run into into my mm-hmm. fleet, otherwise I am not going to be ready for what comes next. Uh, before the end of it. And the American campaign is much more forgiving in that. And it actually, it, it's a little ironic because the American campaign regularly doles out ships to you. Yeah. Um, after, um, like, every single, you press next stage after you've completed all the available ones for, for one scenario. And then you'll find out, oh, I just got two new frigates. That's wonderful. Fourth it's rates, a, whatever. Like, it's amazing. It's like the, the poor small bean Royal Navy will not give you anything. It's it's <laughs> like you gotta get these Spanish out of the Bahamas. And you're like, well, with what? I don't know. Like I, I gave you the ship I captured and now I've got garbage. And meanwhile, like the Continental Navy uh is just like oh yeah you want a new 44 gun uh forget we got one of those lying around uh we'll pick you up maybe they're french and they just didn't tell you it's the french maybe (laughs) so so here's a question related to that and a a bigger question on this game uh it looks like it's been in early access for a long time so i wonder if first uh if the american campaign came second you know it's believable that those changes were made based on player feedback from perhaps the British campaign, if that came sooner. Um, but, you know, the, the the reason this game caught my eye uh, is it showed up in Steam as a new release because they kind of declared it, uh, that, you know, 1.0. It, this, this is the game. Um, do you guys feel like this is a 
1.0? Like, is is this a out of early access game? All right, Matt, I'm going to let you tell us the saga of Game Lab's early access and the uh, provenance Ooh. of this game. There's a saga. <laughs> I feel like there's a saga with every one of their every one of their <laughs> games that goes through early access. Um, you know, I had I didn't follow this one as closely when it went into early access. I know there was some frustration from some folks who felt like Naval Action wasn't done, their previous game wasn't done yet, and then they announced this game and they kind of started rolling out updates for this. The British campaign did come first. Uh, it definitely released in a very threadbare, threadbare way where like campaign battles didn't have briefings or anything like that at one point. You couldn't um, save in the middle of them. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it, awful. It, it, was, it was a bit rough at first. Um, and then the American campaign came later. But it was it was a drawn-out process, but I think I kind of... There was a period where I played the British campaign a bunch. I tried to play the American campaign, and it really didn't exist. It was like two battles. And then, admittedly, I kind of fell away from it until much closer to release. I know it was in, in early access for a long period of time, um, but I don't know if there were any, like... You know, playing it earlier on, I don't really feel like there were any major core uh, design changes in terms of the way the game plays. Um, so it, it still feels like the game that I played when it was, when it was first in early access. Yeah, I, I feel like, um, between this naval action and the fact that Game Labs recently, like, sold out to Stillfront, um, the whole thing does feel a little bit like it's on a wing and a prayer, uh, that, that, that it's coming to us, um. Nick, I think you pointed out in your view, even like the splash screens feel a little underbaked. Like, like literally it is famous nautical quotes uh, just typed into Google and like <laughs> stuff pasted in the, like it doesn't, there's not a lot of fit and finish here. I have a, I, 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 and it didn't make it into the review, but I had a, a couple of little scraps in the bottom where I had just written down some of those splash screen quotes that I got. And, um, one of them was John Paul Jones, and the quote was, I wish to have no connection with any ship that does not sail fast. Incredibly. <laughs> my, 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 my notes for it were the Sonic the Hedgehog of his time. <laughs> Gotta go fast. Like, <laughs> you know, I know, I know we're kind of, we're, we're, we're picking in a lot of, I think, what are valid flaws with the game. But what I will say about this game is I think something it does that I know you've talked about before, Rob at least for me, it, it does make naval combat interesting because of the way that the wind matters. The wind in, is, is the terrain, right? Um, yep. It really does do a good job of making an interesting tactical battle on an otherwise flat surface. Um, when you're sailing your ships, you have uh, an indicator that tells you the direction that the wind is going. And, you know, you have to use all the all the historical naval tactics if you will to try and get the wind gauge so you can make sure that you can control where the engagement is going or you know often you have to turn through the wind which will basically completely cause you to stop or a little bit comically get pushed backwards i don't think that happened um but essentially you have to you have to manage tacking and wearing and all of the the other naval uh jargon if you will and it does make the tactical battles pretty interesting, I would say. And I think that's something it, it deserves um, a fair bit of credit about because I, I can't remember the last last naval game that really made made the ocean and the environment 
matter um, well, I think in this way. I think, too, that I, there's a couple other things that I really did appreciate, too, is that it gives you the sense of um, there's this thing that, and to be clear, everything I know about naval combat in this period is from the Aubrey Maturin novels. Like, we're going to get expert, there, right? Like, you promised we would. Pardon? We're going to get there, right? We're yeah, going to well, talk about the books. Because I secretly just want to turn this into a Master and Commander <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, I, I think there's definitely a lot of overlap uh, w- with this. But like one of the things that comes up in those books is this notion of, um, you know, Jack Aubrey is this really expert sailor and has this like, uh, you know, really attuned relationship to the sailing characteristics of a ship. And in his view, like every every one of these ships, they're they're bespoke items. Like ships of the same class and same design still end up having slightly different qualities to them. And one of the things I enjoyed about this is that um, I don't know if it's that granular, but the different ship types in this game really do have very different points of sailing. When you when you sort of hover over their unit card, you see where they perform best uh, as they lie relative to the wind. Um, you know, cutters love making these like lateral moves uh, to 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 the wind direction. Um, you know, some ships are are great just with the basically the 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 wind right at their backs, and it creates this sense of um. And I don't think even the Talonsoft games did this very well. The Talonsoft games basically were like wind blows from this direction. That's it. That's that's how this is all going to unfold. You're you're on a blank board, and the wind is blowing from one direction, and that's going to determine how fast these ships can go. Uh, here, it feels very much like as the battle unfolds, there's a lot of little efficiencies you can find as you like just adjust the heading on a ship a little bit, and you see like, oh, I just edged a little bit of extra speed out of this, and that's going to allow me to get across their stern and rake them one more time. Uh, yeah. And it also plays a role in combat too. Like depending on where the wind is blowing, your guns may be sort of depressed and and pointed down into the, into the water. So you've got a very short range or opposite. If the wind's coming from another direction, your ship may be kind of healed upwards and you may have really long range on, on your guns. And so it, it affects combat. I actually, I had a battle where um, an enemy ship was definitely not sunk yet, but it had taken a fair bit of damage and it, it had full sails set and the wind caused it to capsize. And and that was just stunning to me. This is a big factor in the uh, the Barbary campaign in the DLC, which I've been playing around with, where um, it, that that's really like a horde mode kind of situation. You get tons of these Barbary ship, little uh, three-mast triangular um, sail ships. They're called Requins in the game. And uh, any time the wind drives them to one direction, that, that whole side of the ship, all of the cannons go underwater every single time, <laughs> and they cannot fire. <laughs> And effectively, if you, if you uh, take any of them, it's the same thing too. If you if you try to shoot anybody that's you know in the the windward side of you, you basically can't because the, that whole side of the ship is just basically right on the verge of going underneath the waves. Well, and then you like it. It behooves you to like you trim sail at that point to like reduce the press on the ship, and you watch the, the gun range just increase. And so, like, yeah, you'll have these moments where you have a perfect angle of attack, but just the way your ships are being pressed by the wind, you can't get the shot unless you basically dump all your speed and <clears throat> you give up that 
control over the initiative you you start you lose relative motion but you do get a few good shots in uh that you you otherwise couldn't have and that did feel neat and i i I think that combined with the fact that there are so many scenarios where land is not that far off uh this is a naval game with a sense of there being interesting and varied terrain Mm-hmm. And, and just the way that the wind affects that, just really quick to add my little bit on that. I, I love the sense that like I can grab half my fleet and set them on AI mode and generally trust that they will not crash themselves into every single reef that's nearby. Uh, but then it, it rewards that, you know, close control where I can, if I feel like I see, oh, the wind is in this direction right now, this ship has come up rest on just this position, I can tilt them a little bit to the side to, to catch this and get one good broadside now that all my cannons are loaded up, and then tilt them back away so that they will be in return fire range for the other ship. It feels just like very satisfying to do. So, Matt, one of the things that you were a little ambivalent about though was um boarding actions and this is a pretty huge part of this game um it's a huge part of warfare in this period um yeah so i mean i think one of the one of the things that i'm a little bit frustrated with to me is it feels like, you know, obviously in, in the Age of Sail, boarding actions are a big thing. Ships come up alongside, and the crew of one ship is going to try and board the other to try and take the ship over. Um, and if you if you read the Aubrey Maturin novels, if you read the Hornblower novels, it's it's just an absolutely fundamental part of naval combat in this era. And in those, like, again, my knowledge of naval combat in this era is largely like like you, Rob. It's, it's tied to these, you know, these, these fiction novels. Um, that are very detailed. I don't remember it ever being an incredibly precise process to board ships in in any of those novels. It's kind of you come up alongside the enemy, you throw the wheel over, and you just crash into them. And in this game, it feels like you've got to you've got to match speed, you've got to match an angle, you've got to kind of hold position while they while they attach grapnels. It feels like you're docking a spaceship rather than like you know two ships crashing into each other and and sailors jumping across to to fight. It is a fairly elaborate mating ritual to get the ships in just the right angle. Which it's a it's you know. I think boarding can be a little bit overpowered in the game. Um, you know, one of the one of the tactics I've had a lot of people recommend to me is basically if you're behind in terms of your your where you should be class wise, is just just go straight for the enemy and just try and board them all the time because you if you build up a large enough crew on your ships, you you typically will always have the manpower advantage um, if you kind of go to max crews. So you can use that as a tactic. So maybe that's a, a gameplay decision, uh, a design decision to try and. Um, you know, nerf boarding a little bit, but it just doesn't, it didn't, didn't feel right to me. Um, I'd also say the same thing about when you engage enemy ships, it seems like you're sinking enemy ships way too often. Uh, I often have to kind of very carefully, deliberately not sink an enemy warship because you're supposed to capture it. And, you know, in, in the age of sail, outside of like after battles, when storms kicked up, like after Trafalgar, Wooden ships don't sink very much. Usually you batter the enemy into a submission and eventually they surrender. Um, and that was something that I think the Talonsoft games got right. Like you almost always had someone strike their colors. Um, and that that rarely seems to happen for me in the game. It happens, but it doesn't, you know, I, 
I, I sure sink a lot of enemy ships. Um, and there's there's a, a um, secondary issue that comes from that too that I found a lot, which is that because every sink sh- uh, ship sinks so quickly, and then when the ship sinks, all of the crew gets into their lifeboats, and then they immediately make for the next yep. viable ship they can get in. You end up in situations where um, because you've been so good at sinking other ships, all of a sudden the entire enemy fleet packs into one <laughs> ship of the line that has like 850 men in it. And then what are you going to do? You're not going to capture it. You're not going to get them to retreat or, or flee or anything like that. <laughs> They'll fight to the last man. Well, and color me surprised when I found out they could unsurrender, uh, you know, <laughs> in the early oh, missions yeah. <laughs> where you, you know, the, oh, white flag, they've surrendered. Great. I will turn my attention elsewhere. And then as they see you sail away, they're like, oh, well, uh, no, we're back. We're good. We're going again. I actually <laughs> like that, though. I thought that was kind of cool because there are instances of that happening. I, do, I think that the one thing these games get v- right very well is the surrender mechanic. And it's the same thing for land, too. I love that it's so reliable that if you can surround, if you can corner off one unit and get them stuck away, from, isolated away from everybody else, they'll, they'll surrender in a heartbeat immediately. But, you know, jig is up, they'll give up. I do and, appreciate um, the land guys won't unsurrender, though, as far as I can tell. They, uh, they, can be they will, yes, if another, really? if another force touches them. Some real, like, um, that, you know, hide-and-seek rules, you know? There's, there's a way to solve that risk, though. There's a button that just lets you kill all your prisoners. What? Oh, my God, I didn't know that. <laughs> yep. Wait, is there? Yes. You don't generally want to do that, because you get rewards if you take prisoners, but there yeah, is actually many. a button that, that lets you... Uh, that lets you kill your land prisoners. Oh man, see, I didn't think it happened because um, I had a battle. It was one of the land battles where I needed everyone to just go fight on this assault, and I left some dudes just like unattended in the center of this town, and I completely, um, God, this little cheesy bullshit like group of uh, skirmishers were just zipping around, um, and I couldn't ever like destroy them. And they did get to those prisoners, but the guys didn't like get uncaptured. They they stayed surrendered. Maybe they just didn't come close enough. Yeah, um, you got lucky. I've I've had miserable scenarios where they've captured them, and then the two of those forces have gone on the complete other side of the map and recaptured objectives, and I haven't been able to. Well, I guess that's why that massacre button is there. Uh, just like you got to open fire on those lifeboats. Uh, you can't let you can't let those guys uh, turn that modest. Uh, brig into some sort of 40k battle wagon um, that is the one scenario because i hate in the total war games when you're chasing routed units to the end of the map but like you know you if you sink a few ships and all of a sudden all those lifeboats start making their way to the big one and you can't let them get there you're now you're chasing a bunch of lifeboats that are mysteriously going as fast as your ship of the line you know and just you please get like a sh- one shot that will actually sink them and instead you just miss them dozens and dozens of times it's like a five percent chance to like actually sink one of them yeah but when you do hit one and the lifeboat goes down with everybody in it that you know that feels yeah. right it is very satisfying um yeah i remember that from uh chris monkey island um i think so as far as um like boarding goes i did kind of like that it's a little bit finicky uh in part because to me it it never did make a ton of sense that um i always felt like in the talonsoft games like one ship t-boning another feels like it would probably fuck those ships <laughs> up more than it would in those games like you'd have a ship under full way 
just hammering in, and then you have the boarding action resolve and and, and all of that. Um, it feels a little bit more convincing to me that like it is about drawing them close and like slowly tractoring them in and turning it into a bit of a um like a bit of a race uh type thing where where you're where you're trying to get the advantage on each other like it was it's kind of cool when you're like for instance on the other side of that equation desperately trying to escape one of those like over overladen uh enemy ships and you're just like watching it creep closer and you're like uh, i think i sure need to get out of this but one thing that helps i find is that it feels like um and this you know it's a common issue but i feel like sometimes the ai is a crap admiral um it there were definitely particularly like if there's little obstructions or like if the wind changes uh there are a lot of times and mind you i should have some sympathy for this because i've definitely done things like this myself where ships end up crossing paths and having to do emergency maneuvers to avoid hitting each other and maybe end up firing through each other's rigging um but i feel like there were a few places where the like enemy ships would get weirdly like stuck in loops or guys would just strike their sails and do nothing for five minutes while I just like shelled them, and then they would get underway again. And like there was there's a lot of weird stuff like that for me as I played this game. They'll um they'll strike their sails and wait for any of those lifeboats that are coming, which is definitely something that I cheesed a lot in my playthrough. Um, yeah, especially because they're they're all making for that big ship of the line that can welcome all those lifeboats onto it. It's a great opportunity to go, you know, right to the, um, I don't know my nautical terms, stern, maybe, we'll say the stern, you know, and, and line up those raking shots that go right across the deck, see if you can take out some of their masts or something like that. Okay, damage model. I'm very, because I think we all remember, um, in Master and Commander, the only way they beat that frigate that's sort of been hunting them, uh, they're, they're sort of Moby Dick of the, uh, of, of tall ships, um, the only way they beat it is they trick it into drawing up alongside them. And then they point blank, just hammer it with their guns. And crucially, they also destroy one of its masts. Um, so that, like, it's, it, you know, its rigging is completely fouled and it will not be able to ever, like, go at full speed again. Um, and there it feels like, it, you know, there they're very close to get this shot here. You here in this, you have the option to target parts of enemy ships. You sort of draw a bullseye on, on where you want to be concentrating fire. No matter what I did, I felt like my gunners didn't really know how to lead targets very well. Um, even as they were more experienced, but I think the bigger issue for me is, um, to me, it never felt like I had very good control um, or influence over the type of damage I was putting down. These ships have armor points. There's there's rigging points. You have the usual mix of um, ammo types, uh, grape shot to sort of sweep the crew off the decks. You have uh, chain shot, theoretically, to tear up rigging. Um, none of that seemed to quite do... It, none of it seemed as impactful as, as I would have thought. And I don't know if that's right, but it definitely cut down on some of the um the the feeling of this being rewarding micro uh play to 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 fight my ships as efficiently as possible 
See, I, I feel the opposite. I, if you um, can get up behind a ship and put that target right near the like the rudder area or the um, uh, what would you call it, the uh, the castle right in the back of the ship, um, one you do a whole lot more damage to the crew. You take a lot out a lot more of their members, uh, and you're you got a much better shot of taking out the rudder on those. Uh, I mean, you know, taking out the rudder, I think maybe is not as um, beneficial in the game as you might expect it would be to be. Uh, taking out a mast is much better. But um, I, I, I definitely, I mean, I put a lot of time into the game now at this point, and I, I definitely feel like if you can get those shots where you have three of those masts lined up all in a row, and you can fire through them, you get a much better shot at taking one of them out. I mean, having your crew trained up to be able to do that, you know, factors a lot heavier too. Yeah, I mean, I think I... Maybe I just don't use the targeting enough, um, but I, I always kind of felt like raking the enemy ship was a little bit underpowered, at least uh, compared to what I what I would expect. It never seemed to do a lot of damage to the crew. Um, it does more damage, but I guess you know even point blank rakes sometimes don't seem to do a lot. Um, I do see that they increase the likelihood of taking you know taking out a, a rudder or something, but I guess I I. I don't know. It just seemed like it was a little bit off in terms of I I thought it would be a little more devastating. How did you guys feel about the different kinds of shot? Did you lean on one more than the other? So I did. Yeah, go on. Uh, you know, I found I found you know shooting at the sails to be somewhat marginally effective. It's it's not good for a while, but then it, once you finally get a couple good hits and take out one of the masts, it's it can be great because it it just completely cripples. Uh, the other ship and I always hate it when it happens to me so it was either sails or just you know <clears throat> full cannon shot to do uh, you know pure damage that's chain a, shot. I oh, gave sorry, up on chain that. shot right and left like because I guess maybe I just didn't I needed to give it more time but like I would fire chain shot and it just didn't seem it it didn't seem to be undermining their their rigging as quickly as i needed it to and so like i ended up for a lot of the game just like just relying on solid shot except for maybe when i was getting close for boarding actions and then i would do those final like volleys of um of grape shot but yeah like i i never felt and and i guess i, I should point out here if you know we're we're all drawing from the Ari Maturian books that shit never comes up in those books. Like, I think, I think, like, Aubrey uses bar shot, like, a handful of times in the entire series, but there really isn't the sense of uh, crews just whipping out special ammo all the time. Like, they're, they're drilled on solid shot, they, they they fight using solid shot, that's, that's kind of what it is. So maybe it's just ahistorical to have this idea of... Uh, you know these these ships choosing their special ammo loadout when when maybe they didn't. But either way, I expect the chain shot to be a little bit more impactful in terms of like reducing a ship's capacity maneuver and 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 keep up. And instead, like you know, probably you know midway through campaigns, I just be like, you know, fuck it, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna blast the hell out of them uh, with, with solid shot. So the the probably the reason it's not very much in the Aubrey Matra novels is the British really didn't use chain shot a lot, but the French did, um, and maybe that speaks to which which approach is better. But um, the French definitely had a preference for chain shot. The British had a preference for solid shot. Um, that being said, I, the strategy that I ended up taking a lot 
was using my solid shot to get their like their armor value down to the point where grape shot would matter. Mm-hmm. And then I would use the grape to, to, you know, decimate the crew and prepare for either boarding or in some, some cases force them to surrender without boarding. And that say, seemed to work pretty well. That seemed that seemed like an efficient tactic. You just had to be a little bit careful because once that armor's gone, it doesn't really matter. It seems like what the whole value is. Those things will sink real fast. You know, the worst feeling in the world is to go up. You finally, you put so much shot into one of those ships of the line. You feel like you're ready to finally board it and take it over. Your whole crew gets on it, celebrates, and then the thing sinks. I had so many awful moments. Because you get the little... um. The little like wavy icon when the ship is taking, taking on water. water. Yeah. Yeah. And I would rush crew over there. And it's not like there's a chance your crew can staunch the 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 flooding, right? Like you'll see like you'll see like new icons pop up as as the team goes into ship saving uh like like emergency surgery and like begins trying to pump the water out and like and, and execute repairs. Um and yeah, they can the, save it. They, they, if they, you can come back from a ship flooding, but the, yep. the water pump has to be viable, and you have to have enough crew to man it. I believe. Yeah, and sometimes I just couldn't. I, I couldn't get the math to to flip on the on the flooding, and I would like just have more guys like rowing over there, and like that icon go down, and I'm like, yeah, I guess in fairness, I did Swiss cheese the shit out of that thing, uh, <laughs> so like I couldn't repair it. Um, I guess. The the special ammo that I did end up using the most, um, double shot, baby. Like, play oh, to sure. my strengths. Sail up close. Use the fact that I'm a decent little, like, sailor. Just weasel in there and just unload with double shot. Are some of those cannons going to explode? Yes. Um, but uh, I'm really going to fuck up that haul. That was something that I found with the game is that, I mean, you know, we were talking about the, the, the tech of the cannons and... You know how you can really you know push the range out on them, but I, I found that long range combat was never very fruitful in the game. I mean, sure you can pepper a unit for a while and you know, maybe get a little bit of an advantage before you move in close, but if it's not doing you know deep penetration damage up close, there's really you're just wasting time. Am, am I right in thinking that the closer you are to the enemy ship, the greater the likelihood they start on fire? And by the way, in terms of effects, fire is appropriately terrifying when your ships catch on fire mm. but I, I think the closer you get the it seems to me anyway the closer you get to the enemy ship the greater the likelihood you'll set them on fire I'm assuming that's with like your wadding flying out onto their onto their deck and starting a fire but I think I think it has to do with penetration right because the yeah, that the powder room or whatever on the ship is the powder room <laughs> the powder kegs are, are stored <laughs> You know, somewhere that's pretty protected by the hull, and so if you can get up close enough, uh, your penetration for your shots goes much further through it, and so you can actually perforate that area. And eh, if you hit the magazine, more. though, that's a different thing, right? Like a lot of times, it would go from ship ship would go from a zero to exploded. <laughs> like I had a few <laughs> where the fire phase was basically skipped. Like I would be like closing. It didn't happen very often, but it was pretty freaking spectacular. Where like the a ship critical shot, yeah, yeah, a ship would be okay, and I'd be like, ah, uh, that'll 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 be a juicy prize, me mateys, and then we fire <laughs> that one shot too many, and I'd see the fire icon flicker on for like a second, and then it would just be like gone, and you'd have that like d- you know dismasted, uh, burning Hulk rapidly sinking down. Um, and that was always uh, pretty grim. Usually, when a fire broke out, um, yeah, I do. It did seem to happen 
at closer range. I, I couldn't like if it was the the idea that it being like discharged from your cannon setting on fire makes a lot of sense. Or yeah, maybe setting off the uh like the the powder reserves by the guns themselves, uh and and igniting like small fires on the uh you know you know on the gun decks. I don't know. Um but it definitely did like Fire at long range rarely had very dramatic effects at all. Occasionally, I would see it um, end up, like, landing some lucky hits that would, like, cause some flooding below the waterline. Um, but, yeah, by and large, if I wanted to do something, I needed to get close. And, I mean, to be fair, this is a game that's, that's all about damage falloff. You know, like when you when you have uh when you're sort of like looking at your loadouts, every gun is rated in terms of um you know firepower range, and there are guns that are a little bit more um like long range rifles, and I, I tended to try to load those onto my lighter ships to keep them viable later into the game, but um I am curious like. To me, I, I kind of felt like as these campaigns went along, I would rapidly end up in places where, like, no, you just need a bigger ship. Like, this isn't, the game isn't balanced that way. Like, once the action moves to big ships, like, bashing it out, um, that cutter's not doing a lot. Yeah, good luck fighting the Nile or the Chesapeake with, uh, with a seventh-rate cutter. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. I don't know if that's a problem with the game. Um, but it, it, like, because the game kind of is about building the stable of ships, um, I feel like games that tend to do this do provide some sort of notion of, um, you know, you, you might need a lighter ship later in the game. Um, that's, that doesn't seem to be the case as much here. Uh, like those guys weren't, weren't good for a lot, maybe occasionally chasing down a, a fleeing ship for a boarding action, but uh yeah it, like the lesson i started to draw as the campaign went along was just get the biggest heaviest shit you could uh on land and sea and that's gonna treat you pretty well well and it also translates into the land battles because the bigger the ship the bigger the crew the bigger the crew the more men you can bring with you in those land fights and and that you know more muskets is good One use that I did find for the smaller ships, uh, because they, and you guys can, can uh, I'm curious to hear what you think about these things, but um, the, the, the game has these sort of like interstitial side missions that you don't yeah. actually, they're like, you, they're automated, you send out some shit, it's like an Assassin's Creed, what, Brotherhood, I think was the what the game that did this, where you, you send out your ally forces to take care of something, you hear back about the results afterwards after a certain period of time. Uh, missions in between the main campaign chapters and um, as far as I could tell the success rate of those depends entirely on the um, skill rating of the ships that you send out on it and so smaller ships usually because they were from so early on in the campaign if you deploy them to battles throughout they level up very fast and so you have like you know three star crews on them uh, I would send them out on those things all the time because if they get damaged or, you know, then it's cheap to repair. And because they're so leveled up, they tend to do very well on them. That's a good point because I definitely had a mission where, like, the text was, there's definitely going to be a lot of fighting on this. But then I 
put a merchant on it, but it was a merchant with like a good crew and a good captain, and it was like eighty five percent chance of success. Which, like, mind you, it came back heavily damaged, so it did kind of track that like maybe that was not the right ship to put on that. I don't know, but that is a good point that like some of those mission descriptions didn't seem to reflect what I was able to get away with sending on those missions. Yeah, they're they're pure flavor, right? I don't think that there's any bearing. <laughs> I think that it's just a, just done for for your benefit, you know. So, you know, as I here's the here's the thing. I think as often happens to me on the show, I end up feeling differently about this game based on our conversation because I feel like all my a lot of my criticisms, a lot of things I was like, ah, this feels weird. I didn't, here's, here's what I saw happen. I didn't like it. I feel like everybody ended up with different styles of being captains and different like tactics they like to use and different like things they observed working or not working. And that makes me kind of think like, okay, shit, I, I didn't, I just didn't do this stuff. Cause I saw a few things and I was like, well, that's not going to work anymore. Time to give up. That's just how this game is wired. Um, and now hearing this, I'm like, oh shit! Like, there's there's a lot more that's viable here, and it's it's kind of a cool little sailing game. And isn't that the lesson of Master and Commander? <laughs> so okay, so here's the thing. I gotta I I gotta get this out. I feel like um, you know, I, I feel like we've dunked on this game a little bit. Um, and Lord knows on my Word doc here, I've still got a laundry list of uh, you know, goofy shit in this game that doesn't make any sense. But I'm three quarters of the way through Master and Commander. Uh, I'm in love with this book. I don't know what kind of character arc he has in the series, but I've never identified with a character more than I have with Jack Aubrey, personally speaking. Um, my biggest ship was always named the Sophie, and if it was ever sunk, I would restart the mission because that ship must go on. My second biggest ship was always the HMS Goodfellow, uh, and if that ship was ever sunk... Uh, I would restart because it has to go on. And in the sense of yeah, just having so. fun with the naval battles and, you know, reading some of the book and then going back into the game and going back and forth between the two, it's just a fun game to do the naval combat. And, you know, there there's lots of things we could say about what did or didn't work in terms of the the specifics. But I still had fun with it, and I feel like a lot of the stuff that I've said or we've gone on are, are the, the, the niggles that got to us. But overall, I'd still recommend it to somebody, and the way I was playing with it and engaging with it, I still had a good time you know, developing my ships and, and getting an... Even though the Sophie would change from ship to ship, like that was my ship, right? I'm going to make sure that this is the one that, uh, that, that carries the legacy through. Um, so I still, had, I still had fun with it, is what I'm trying to say. I mean, I had I had a lot of fun with the game as well, and I I guess my my take would be I think I kind of wish the land combat wasn't there. I see what they were trying to do, but to me the game works much better just as a as a naval game. Um, there are some interesting amphibious scenarios that I think work pretty well, but on the whole, um, you know, the naval side of things in this game is is what is what works for me. And I think it's interesting that apparently they're working on an American Revolutions, an Ultimate General American Revolution game which I, I presume will just be the land combat side of this with some changes to the, the strategic layer of the game. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's a it's a fun game. I think it does well with naval combat. There are some there are some quirks, but overall, I, I certainly enjoyed myself. I think the one thing I would have liked a little bit more was not make it quite so campaign dependent. There's a handful of individual battles you can play, but uh, very few really. Um, you really have to go through the campaign if you if you want a if you want a varied experience. I think, yeah. I liked the like I have my issues with the campaign. Here's the weird thing that that issue that I cited where it's like sometimes you just got to restart the campaign and like sort of figure out like now how the game is working. You, here's kind of the choices you got to make. It used to be every game like that. It's, it's so weird to think about like that used to be just that was part of the longevity of games is like <laughs> you just get partway into a campaign like oh now i see what's going on time to restart but for real this time and that was the arc of so many like strategy games and 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 stuff and here i'm like excuse me it is possible possible for me to make such bad choices that i cannot continue to progress this is an outrage um and <laughs> and yeah, show your age feel, yeah i'm like but also I'm not 12 anymore. <laughs> I'm a busy man. <laughs> the, the, that was definitely because I had played this in early access too. And they, they only added the option to save mid battle, like very late in the early access period. I think it was right before they tabbed it for full release. And um, you can imagine it was responsible to a lot of consternation. They'd actually dug their toes in about that for a while. They, they really didn't want to add it for some reason to the code or something like that. And, um, uh, you know, and I've been playing game labs, short. dig their heels no. in over a, a, a stupid argument that they're in no position to win. No, Weird. that's never happened before. Yeah. <laughs> this land is my land is, you know, okay. That's a thing. I mean, naval action before, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, I mean, I, I, I felt like, look, I've been playing games for a long time. Like, okay. If my, um, I have to abort this thing two hours into it, and I just got to restart the thing. Like, okay, this is the thing that happens in video games. So, you know, I mean, showing my age for sure. But, um, but I, I think, to a side, I'm, I'm with you, Michael. Like, it's not like I'm suffering for an embarrassment from an embarrassment of choices when it comes to games that let you command, like, uh you know, Age of Sail fleets and do that Jack Aubrey shit of, like, away borders and drop close and hit them with double shot. Like, is there any... Like, I'm, I'm, now I'm thinking, is there another... Is there even another, like, decent Age of Sail game out there right now? Because, like, yeah, you can, like, go play Talonsoft. I think I think Age of Sail, like, two discs, uh, Privateer's Booty or something like that, uh, laying around here. That's still playable. It's not... It's not really interesting anymore, but it's, yeah, it, it's not like there's many games that are going to let me scratch this itch. And and to an extent, like, I am very thirsty for this type of war game. Um, and when these battles are good, they're pretty cool. It feels really good to, like, draw in the range properly and like perfectly position your fleets where like you've got three ships engaging one enemy vessel and you're just hammering it and it can't reply and for like five minutes you're just you're just whooping ass that stuff feels great um and 
I think by the, on that curve, undeniably, this is an easy game to recommend. Like, if you, do you like the tall ships? Where else are you going to go? Everything else is like, they're all pirate games. I'd say for the last 20 years, the only games that deal with Age of Sail timing are pretty much like pirate or Caribbean like management games. Yeah. Or Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Right, where it's where it's very like either it's arcadey or yeah, where fundamentally its interest is being a trade sim with a little nautical combat like like aside in it. Um, yeah, I, I I think that's that, that's a really valid point. Like as as many reservations I might have, um, it's it's still probably the the literally only game in town for this kind of stuff. Um, Michael, I do have one question. Yeah. Why do you identify with Aubrey more than Maturin? I figure Maturin, like, sort of the reflective, um, the reflective, thoughtful nerd, I feel like is more of a 3MA producer and panelist type character. Aubrey's a huge jock and, like, kind of a dipshit. Yeah, that's, yeah, dipshit. Yeah. Uh, no, he comes in with huge dad energy. And that's, like, you know, my whole thing right now is as I approach middle-aged dadhood, like, you know, tall ships call to me, like, you know, that's just genetics, I think. But, uh, you know, he starts loading up the, the, the Sophie at the beginning, and he's like, yeah, you know, 12-pound guns, that's going to work. And he, he does the equivalent of slapping something that you just tied down and saying, well, that's not going anywhere. And, yeah, you know, these are going to work, and they clearly are not going to work, and everyone's giving him the side eye. You know, this lower middle management guy who just got put in his position and is making questionable at best decisions. And then, uh, you know, that doesn't work. And, uh, you know, he subtly is like, and get rid of those 12 pound guns. Uh, you know, he's got, you know, paperwork to do for he's 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 loving life and like just celebrating his uh, his his role in the fleet and, you know, I'll never forget, I forget who it was. Was he talking about Horatio Nelson? It's like, I'll never forget what he said to me, you know, pass the salt. And uh, he's just so enthusiastic about everything and then, you know, gets beaten down by the fact that now he has to fill out the paperwork because, you know, one of his crewmate was fucking a goat. Like, and it just kind of brings him right back down. And he makes all these, and once in a while he hits a home run, but the crew is just kind of like, I don't know. I, and that's curious. basically my life right now. I'd be curious if you're your opinion on, yeah. on him being most likely you changes as you get into the other books, as he spends a little bit more time ashore. If you get to that, post, if you get through post captain, which I think is the second book, yeah. um, your opinion may change. And that's fine. That's why I gave the disclaimer. I identify with Jack Aubrey beginning of the series. Maybe he turns completely different, but uh, yeah, I just, there, there, there's a lot going on right there right now. And, uh, yeah, I, I I really like this book, and even if I don't uh, continue playing this game, which I will for a while, uh, I'm going to keep reading these books. You should. I think it's just a question of if you're a fiddle or a viola guy, and Rob is a fiddle guy. Let's be honest. Come on. <laughs> um, I do love that their meet cute is Jack just getting way too into a quartet concert, and like. Yeah going boom 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 to keep time with the music during the quartet and Maturian is just quietly seething the entire time it's, oh, it's great i love it but no you should you should stick with these books because there's two things uh one legitimately i think they're a towering achievement of american literature um 
And two, it's an incredible series that the books have such different vibes to them. And yet, I think, like, even late in the series, the series is still finding some of its greatest moments and putting together some of its, like, uh, best novels. Um, so it's it's not one of those things where, like, it just continues to trail off. It might feel like it's doing that, but, like, it, it, it starts to rally. The one real flaw, of course, is that um, O'Brien never dreamed that he would write that many books. And so he basically burns through the entire Napoleonic age until like by book four, it's like 1810 or 1812. And he's like, fuck, I want this to be a huge series. And so there is a forward at one point in the series where he's like, look, there's not enough war left for this stuff to happen. (laughs) If I had this to do over again, I probably wouldn't have moved on from the revolutionary period quite as quickly as I did. But that's just the series now. So you need to <laughs> well, be with then me. He has on like this. six books that all occur in the span of like one year. He, it's just like what is he time? lays out? He's like you have to imagine that this book takes place in 1812a, and then the next book takes like literally. This is his logic. There's 1812a. There's 1812b. There's 1812c. And there's 1812d. And then we'll move on. And eventually this all wrap up by like the time of Trafalgar. But like it's it's amazing. Like midway through he realizes like oh I completely I, I completely fucked this up. But rather than do the dumb Bernard Cornwell thing because Bernard Cornwell always does the dumb thing where it's like I'm gonna create lots of bullshit side adventures that I retcon into this. Like O'Brien is like no we are this is now becoming an epic series that is unbound by the laws of time and space. And I'm, it's better I love for everything about what you're saying right now. Yeah, it's incredible. I would say one of my favorite parts of the series, this is going to sound bizarre, is like in the 14th or 15th books, he spends like 30 pages talking about enclosures and like British real estate like policy at the time. And I just remember being so fascinated by it and then wondering, wait a minute, like this is, this is Aubrey Matron. What, why are we talking about this stuff? It's, it's true Moby Dick fashion. <laughs> the Two thing chapters I'll, about ropes. The thing I'll close on here is that um, there's this moment in the books. There's one of their best books is when they're um, basically they get swept up in the rise of the American fleet. Um, that a series of misfortunes. They're like cursed for an entire book, and they're rescued at sea by a British frigate. And then a couple days after being rescued, uh, they get into an engagement with i think the uss constitution and aubrey isn't the captain but he's a good gunner um and so he just goes down to the gun decks to work a battery and he gets completely caught up in this fight against this this frigate and it's this description of where the thing is just this blur of him just like firing shots into the side of this frigate and like there's smoke everywhere but he's like we are just we are hammering these fucking guys and then out of the blue, like, you were so caught up in this. You're like, this is an amazing battle. Like, yeah, get him, Jack. And then, like, record scratch moment where it's like, stop firing, we've struck. We've struck. Like, stop firing. And he's just baffled. He's like, we've struck? We've struck? And he goes up out on the... He leaves the deck and he goes up onto the... Uh, he leaves the gun deck and he goes up onto the, uh, onto the main deck. And the ship is completely a charnel house. Like, the masts are down. Uh, captain's, like, dead. Everyone on deck is dead. 
Um, and basically, like they're just in a they're just in a Hulk, and he had no idea because the fighting down there was so intense, and he's completely wrapped up in it. And I think this game, at its best, does bring that moment to life that that sense of these things can take and dish out so much punishment that like even when a ship is more than doomed and like you're like well this is like mathematically the ship is going to lose the amount of broadsides it's going to unleash between that moment and the point where it strikes um is is truly incredible and and you, you get a sense of these things can die so incredibly hard um and I, I, I think when the game is at its best, you, you do get that sense of uh, the way these battles can just like completely rage out of control, even when the outcome is almost preordained. Um, all right, I think that will do it for this week's episode. Um, so, Michael, you don't want to produce this one, right? You, you, you're not going to. This is you're not coming back for a one-time only production engagement. Uh, you seem to have such a good crew going right now. Why, why ruin a good thing? Yeah. You don't, you don't want to sort out a bunch of wildly disparate audio tracks. Uh, I, I, well, I have this Jack Aubrey novel sitting here. I could be doing that. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you'll enjoy the reading more. Uh, anyway, we've, we've hope you've enjoyed the episode. We'll be back next uh, next week with another episode of three moves ahead. This episode was produced by Keith Carberry uh you can support us on patreon at patreon.com slash 3ma uh you can read nick's review over at waypoint.vice.com nick you also have written something else of late as you sort of made your uh return to uh games credit oh yeah i've um i blogged a little bit about crusader kings 3 um, which you can find at my website um nickcapazzoli.com i'm not going to try to spell my name you can find me on twitter Perfect. I uh, thank you, Nick, because I I feel bad that I have to look it up every time. And yet, <laughs> I'm like, which 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 of these letters are doubled? I can never keep it straight in my head. The Z, the L, the I. Yeah, it's it's very Italian. Don't worry about it. Um, and uh, Matt, where can people uh, find your work? Uh, you guys can find me over on YouTube dot or at YouTube dot com uh, slash the Historical Gamer. All right. And you can find me on Twitter at Rob Zachney. Uh, thanks for listening and for Matt, for Nick, and for Michael. Michael, we miss you every day. Uh, this is Rob Zachney saying good night.